From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents the Sunday Sprint Betting Edition, plus some other stuff with Danny Flecka. I'm Jeremy Schilling. Good evening, sir. How are you, my man? I am good. Um, here we go. Divisional weekend, National Championship weekend, and Baseball Arbitration Day. So we'll just quickly get Baseball Arbitration Avoidance Day out of the way. $27 million for Mookie Betts, Betts, and the reaction on Boston is? I think they're happy to have him back for the year. I just don't know how much longer it's going to be, to be honest. I, I think you and I have spoken about this a couple of times. I think he's done up here in Boston, and I think this is just a, a stalling tactic on the Red Sox part to potentially see how the season goes and to see if they could potentially trade him mid-season. And I think a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I think the first thing that the Red Sox are going to do if their season is going down the drain, which, let's be honest, uh, given their history and the way they've done things the last couple of years, could be very, very possible. Um, it could be just an option for them to trade Mookie and get away with some stuff, uh, get away with them getting some picks, and then, Selling to the fan base, they made every single opportunity to try to resign him. They just couldn't do it. Yada yada yada. Um, so I, I think it's it's one of a mixed emotions. You're going to get potentially a full year out of him and a run at the playoffs, or I could see the Red Sox easily trading him this off season. I mean, I'm sorry, this uh, trade deadline when um, they potentially are out of the the running. Um, and then. One one more baseball thing, which is, and I'm trying to look at the number. I think it's eight something. Is Aaron Judge the most the uh, the 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 uh, best deal around right now for the Yankees? I mean, you settle at eight and a half million. That's what it is. Eight and a half million is what Aaron Judge is being paid next year. Yeah, it's his first year of arbitration, if I'm not mistaken, too. So yeah. He's going to come in under that ten million dollar mark, but you know the Yankees are going to find themselves in a couple of years in a, in a situation where they're going to have to pay up some big bucks for some some of these players. Um, but you know this is why we we've spoken about this. Their window is now. They need to win the next three three years with the the contracts they have on the table with Cole, with Stanton, with Judge, with DJ LeMay. You had a very cheap rate. Aaron Hicks was re-signed last year for, uh, I think, a bargain contract. He just needs to stay healthy. Um, Brett Gardner's back this year. You have Paxton on the contract. You know, this is the Yankee time. If they don't capitalize on, on what they have right now, I don't know when they're going to be able to do so. All right, let's move on now to the NFL playoffs. And we start with the Vikings and the 49ers. Seven-point favorites are the 49ers. 44.5 is the over-under. 49ers coming off of by Garoppolo's biggest spot. Vikings coming with a ton of momentum. But as my Viking fan, Luke Morrow, just pointed out, you've got now to go from New Orleans back to Minnesota, now out to the West Coast on a short week, which is something the NFL tries to avoid, but it didn't work out that way because of the seating. Interesting scenario here. Yeah, I'm throwing that out of out the window right now, to be honest with you. I, I really don't think at this point in the year travel makes makes that much of a difference. Uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings knew if they had won, this was a potential scenario for them. So I think mentally they were very prepared for the outcome of what was going to happen as far as the travel was concerned. They knew as the six seed, as the five seed, that unless the Eagles pull off an upset, I mean, unless um, 
things went their way. They were actually the 60s, I'm sorry. As the 60s, they knew their only destination was San Francisco. I'm throwing travel out the window. This is not a concern for me. Um, I have other concerns going into this game for both teams, and, and those two are, that's not one of them. Um, I, I'm looking at this game as best as I can, and I'm still not sure which way to go. This is a game where I think, to me, the numbers don't make any sense. Um, looking at just from a betting perspective, San Francisco at home as a favorite is 3-4-1 against the spread. Minnesota on the road is 500 against the spread. San Francisco as a favorite this year over six points is 1-6, and, and their only cover came against Carolina back when they were reeling. Every other game that's been favored over six points has been about a four to six point margin of victory if they've won that game. There have been some, some losses in there as well. Minnesota is without Thielen this week, potentially. He has a, a cut on his ankle. So for me, this game really comes down to the quarterback. Ken Garoppolo and Cousins make enough plays to have their team win because I think both teams are going to rely on the run. Both teams are going to rely on their defensive front. And it's which quarterback can make the throws to sustain drives, convert third downs, keep the clock moving, and prevent the other team from getting good field position. So, for me, with the points where they are right now, given San Francisco's track record against the spread, I'm leaning towards the Vikings. You know, it's interesting. Um, you, you also wonder what the state of Levi Stadium field is. Um, but, you know, no, no Thielen would be a big factor, obviously, for the Vikings. But Levi Stadium, that, that field condition has never gotten perfectly right and obviously puts more of an emphasis on this for San Francisco. You like the Vikings. Does that mean you're taking the Vikings betting-wise with the seven-point line? As of right now, that's where I'm leaning. Just the way I look at it, you know, San Francisco has been a great team all year. It doesn't mean I don't think they're going to win. I think Minnesota has the personnel to give them some trouble. Again, I mentioned last week their tight ends. They didn't really utilize them as much in, in New Orleans as I thought they would. And that was because their running game was going. You know, they have two really good running backs. Yeah. In Madison. Madison is a clone, basically, of Dalvin Cook. He gets downhill fast. He hits the hole hard. He's good in the passing game. I think if they're able to get around 150 yards rushing, they could be in a situation where they're controlling this game. You know, and as I mentioned, San Francisco is a great team. They're a great team to, to, to back and to take straight up if you're looking to get that money line. As far as against the spread, as I mentioned, anything over six points this year, and there have been a lot of games, you know, eight, seven game sample size is a lot in the season. They're one in six, and their one victory came against Carolina. They let Pittsburgh, Arizona twice, depending on where you got that line in the first game, the Rams. Um, and the Atlanta Falcons won outright against them as plus six or more as a favorite. So I think for Minnesota, it's just about keeping the game close. They've lost six games this year. That, that's very, very apparent. You know, they've had some flaws this year. But in their losses, their average um, point margin in their losses was less than six points. So. If I'm going to back a team in this situation, I know everyone's saying San Francisco, San Francisco. To me, I just think with seven points in this type of game, first game for Garoppolo in the playoffs, first game for Shanahan in the playoffs. Um, I get it, their defense is great. You know, D4 is coming back, but he's off a hamstring. Those things flare up all the time. Quan Alexander's back with a, with a torn pec. 
there's just a lot of variables for me to, to say that San Francisco is going to definitely win this game by more than seven points. Excuse me. Yeah, no, I'm. Um, I those those are all great points, and that whole thing um, against the spread is is a startling stat. Um, now this is this is the game that I think could be an absolute blowout, and that's the Ravens and the Titans. Nine and a half, forty-seven for the over/under. If Lamar Jackson and company can find the rhythm after the bye, I don't unless Derrick Henry goes for like one seventy-five and two touchdowns or something like that, something crazy. I guess ball control could keep the Titans in it, but I just don't see it happening. No, I agree. The Titans need to convert on their third down, and they got to keep the clock moving. It's the only way for them to stay in this game. But I still think 10 points is a lot of points to, to, to take in a, in a playoff game, and I know Baltimore's been a wagon. They've been able to do things that we haven't seen other teams do. But I just think 10 points is a lot, especially with, with a running back and an offensive line that the Tennessee has. They have an opportunity here to be in another game where they relish in, where it's like no one believes in them, no one thinks they can get it done. You know, if they throw the first punch in this game, which way is this game going to go? Is Baltimore going to fall? Um, do they have enough with Ingram and Gus Edwards in the running game to take the pressure off Lamar? It's going to be an interesting game. I, I don't know if it's going to be a blowout. It has the potential to be, but I just don't know if it's necessarily going to go that way, especially if Tennessee can get up up early. And, you know, there's some windy weather that's forecasted for this game, so the running game is going to be very, very important for both teams. But with 10 points, I always feel more comfortable favoring the underdog just because, you know, that backdoor potential cover um, wacky things happen in the playoffs. Baltimore is four and four at home against the spread, and, and two and four as the favorite. So it's just going to really come down to can the Titans get in front, or can they stay level with the Ravens to keep this game close enough to where that ten points isn't necessarily that big of a margin. Danny Flucker going through all the betting stuff for this weekend in, in, in the uh, football world. All right, um, Texans-Chiefs, this is my upset special. I think Andy Reid lays an egg. I think Patrick Mahomes loses. I think Deshaun Watson and company get it done for Houston. This is my upset special. 40, uh, no, 33-32. Um, and it's a one point to nail-biter and Houston wins. Um, I know the, the line is nine and a half. Kansas City, but I just I have a weird feeling about this game, Danny. Kansas City has has had weird games in their divisional matchups, you know, the last you know twenty five years, right, going back all the way to the, to the Elvis Gerback days. And I might be dating myself a bit with that. Um, I, I think again, ten points is a lot of points, but for me, this comes down to one player for Houston, and that is. Will Fuller. What will Will Fuller be able to provide for this Texans team? When he's in a game that that offense is completely different. You know, we saw them struggle last week against the Bills, a very tough defense. Kansas City isn't the Bills, but they have been better of late. And when Will Fuller's in the game, things change dramatically. You know, Watson has another option. He can throw that deep ball. He opens up the underneath stuff for his tight ends, his running backs, and, and Hopkins. You know, he has more of an opportunity to run with the ball. You know, it, it, it's really, to me, does Will Fuller have enough in him to 
last the entire game, and if that, you know, make any sort of product, any sort of impact on the game. So it's tough for me to go against Kansas City and what they have, but I do like the potential for Houston to keep this game close. It is fascinating also, this thing. I, I've, I've always viewed teams coming off buys, especially with mobile quarterbacks, as sequencing penalties, um, not having stupid offensive mistakes, and Kansas City was out of sync. Mahomes was banged up. He got healthier as the year went on. How healthy, how much did that bye week impact Patrick Mahomes so that he could be the Patrick Mahomes of last year? Or is he still the Patrick Mahomes of this year? Because if he's the Patrick Mahomes of last year, I look like a really big idiot this week, just like I look like a really big idiot uh, with my 42-3 to uh, Saints uh, uh, thought last week that was woefully incorrect. Yeah, the, the Chiefs are humming, though, right now. You know, their defense is, is good, and, and they're playing really fast and, and playing downhill, and Mahomes seems to be over whatever was bothering him. Kelsey's full speed, Hill's full speed. My concern with Kansas City, I think, in this game is their running game. Do they have enough in the running game to offset what it is that the Texans will try to do, and that is bring pressure. If the Texans are bringing pressure the entire game, Mahomes is going to carve them up. But if, if the Texans are able to sit back a little bit and, and let Mahomes come to them, they might have the opportunity to, to convert some bad throws or, or mistakes or whatever it might be into some turnovers or third down stops. And this Texans team has played Kansas City already this year, and they won outright. And that was you know, a different time for both of these teams. They were both playing uh, different types of football, but I think... Kansas City really does need to have some sort of run game to keep Texas off balance, the Texans off balance, and be able to hit those deep shots with Tyreek Hill and, and all the complimentary pieces there, and then force the Texans to bring pressure, and then Mahomes will carve them up. We'll, we'll see if they can do that, but I think at this point, with 10 points, both teams understanding what's at stake here, it, you just tend to see more conservative types of game plans from teams and I think we'll see that here. And, I, and I'm just looking at what Deshaun Watson has done and his track record as an underdog and his track record in games where he's down and out and, and still be able to keep the game close enough to be in striking distance where he has an opportunity to win the game. Certainly seems that way that, that, that he will keep them in it um, and find a way with his legs, just like he did. I mean, look, the whole reason why they're even in this game is that amazing way to avo- to, to, to avoid the sack last week against Buffalo in overtime. And, you know, that, that's what set all that up. So, um, certainly is an interesting progression for Deshaun Watson, and, 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 and it'll be interesting to see Patrick Mahomes and how he responds. This brings us then to Seattle Green Bay and if this game was not at 6:40 at night in the cold in Lambeau I would have a totally different look on this game. Oh, uh, uh by the way, just we glossed over the uh uh, uh betting portion of that contest. Uh 9 and a half, 51 over under. Are you touching that at all? I I like Houston. 
Okay, so there you go. And you know, I'm keeping it close. All right, so 46 and a half, 45, sorry, sorry, four and a half point favorites for the Packers. You look at this game, and as I said, if it was not in Lambeau and not at night and not at 640 and not in the cold, I'd have a totally different opinion. But I just think the conditions and Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau at night, even with a team that doesn't have maybe the best weapons of the Rodgers era, but still enough, especially with the way Jones has come on, that I think that that this is a Packer win and it's way more than four and a half. Yeah, this is, I mean, all these games this weekend are tough from a betting perspective. I, I can see a lot of these games going either way, maybe except for Baltimore. I think Baltimore is a clear-cut favorite and, and should win that game. Um, this game here, for me, comes down to two factors. It comes down to can Seattle establish the run, which you know they're going to try to do, and can Green Bay take advantage of some of their matchups on offense with complementary pieces that they have. So it's Seattle going to run the ball 20 to 25 times with Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer and take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands and not let him win the game? Or are they going to let Russell Wilson dictate the way this game is going to go? On the flip side, you mentioned the Green Bay weapons. They do have some weapons there that I think are, are very underrated. And, you know, we mentioned Jones. I think Jones is a big piece of this, of this game. But Alan Lazard is another guy. Big wide receiver, can run a lot of routes, create that matchup on, on the outside that they could potentially take advantage of. Will Green Bay neglect to, to get him involved, or will they just try to pound the rock and get Adams open on, on certain routes? I think the cold and Lambeau have nothing to do with this game. I really think it comes down to the two quarterbacks. And I think that when it comes down to it, if Rodgers wants to take over this game, he'll say, I'm taking over this game. Whereas the Seahawks, at times, tend to get away from letting Wilson do what he does best. And and I think that ultimately will provide the difference in this game. And I'll back the Packers in this game. It is going to be one interesting weekend. And to your point, Lazard, um, you know, just is one of those guys, uh, 477 yards, three touchdowns, um, but yards per catch, I just had that. Uh, yards yards per uh, game is 29.8 for Lazard, but his, 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 his long is 43, and it is that downfield threat. Um, started three games but played in all 16 during the regular season. All right, so now we move on to Clemson, LSU, and you and I are on very different sides here. I love LSU in this game. I was so impressed by Joe Burrow, and you love Clemson in this game. I do. I just think Clemson is one of those teams you just can never count out, and I think LSU is this year's flavor of the year, and Burrow's had a great year. And he deserves all the accolades he's gotten, and I think Ellis deserves to be here, just as I think Clemson does. I just think Clemson is going to be the best team that LSU has faced this year, and it's not even close. And there have been some comparable matchups that they've had this year that I think will allow Clemson to hang in there. Um, I, I do think that six points is a huge overreaction. I think this game should be more around two and a half, three points. You know, um, one way or the other, you can honestly think, you know, depending on, on which side you, you think is, is best, could favor either side. But I think LSU is the 
demolition of Oklahoma and Clemson's come from behind victory kind of skewed the way this line is going. And I just think there's tremendous value in Clemson at plus six. You know, they have a great secondary, a fast secondary that I think can match up very well with what LSU likes to do. And on the flip side, I think the weapons that Clemson has is far and above of you know, whatever it is that LSU has faced. I know that they faced Alabama with their dynamic wide receivers, and we saw what Alabama was able to do against them once they had to, you know, drop back and pass the ball. But that was with a Tua that was hurt. This is a Trevor Lawrence that is healthy. We saw what he did with his legs in the last game. Probably against one of the better defenses in the country. I don't know if LSU is, is on par with Ohio State, but I, I think that L, uh, LSU's being a little overvalued here, and Clemson is a team that has been an underdog in every single national championship game they played in. They have covered in three of them, won two of them, and this is just an opportunity for me to back a, a dog that I think is just very, very undervalued and has an opportunity not only to cover but to win outright. As you look at this, Danny, how much do you think that this line is influenced by, by where the game's being played, the fact that it's the Superdome, it's basically a home game, etc.? I think that has a lot to do with it. I think it has maybe a point or two advantage for LSU. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that just adds a little bit more pressure as well to LSU. Uh, I think Clemson's just coming in here as a team with less to prove and less pressure and as much as you want to say that for a national you know defending national champion given the way LSU season's gone where the game's being played that the Heisman Trophy etc I just think Clemson finds itself in an opportunity here where they have the chance to play loose let it let their best version of themselves come out and I think they're going to go punch for punch with LSU despite where the game's being played despite the season LSU has had, uh, I think people forget that Clemson hasn't lost in, I don't know, two years, and have the, has the opportunity in more than two years, two and a half years, um, you know, they have the opportunity here to, to really, have, you know, go for a, a spot where they could be one of the best teams in college football history, and, and I don't think any of that's lost on them. Um, I just don't know if six points is the right number here. And, and and not only that, Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost since high school. Yeah, he's twenty five and zero as a starter. We saw a different dimension of his game last week. I'm sure LSU will be prepared for that. And if anything, that does open up some of the passing game. And, and in that Ohio State game, we saw some some things that I thought were were troublesome. You know, bad drops by the wide receivers. They didn't get Etienne, I think, involved enough. And when they finally did, you know, he broke off some big big plays for them. And I think they'll be a little more balanced this, this time around. I think they'll understand that to keep LSU in check, they're going to have to control the ball, you know, make first downs, run the ball, throw some screens in there, and then when they're on defense, get off the field. But, you know, their key to success here is just allowing Trevor Lawrence to, to do what he does best, disperse the ball across the field. And the guy doesn't throw interceptions either. So if you're LSU, you're, you're, if you're hoping for him to make a mistake, it's not likely you know, there's still a chance it could happen, but it's not likely. So I think LSU is going to be in for a dogfight this, this Monday. All right. So speaking of, of dogfights, there'll obviously be a, 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 a tiger that wins this thing. Um, if it is a fight and if it does come down to the end, 
this long, unprecedented, over two-week break, which allowed especially Clemson to heal up, because that was one rough game that they had versus Ohio State. Very physical. Guys going down left and right. Do you think the long layoff has any impact on this game? I don't. I really don't. If anything you just mentioned there, it gives, it gives Clemson the opportunity to, to have everybody available to them. I, I do think if there's one thing that I am nervous about if I'm a Clemson fan is if it is a one-possession game or a tie game, your field goal kicking unit isn't necessarily the strongest unit in the, in the country. So I think that this game is going to really come down to, at the end, if it's a one-possession game, you know, the special teams. Because there, there's going to come an opportunity in this game where I think a field goal is going to make a, a world of difference, whether it's at the end of the half, um, whether it's you know to start the, the fourth quarter or to end the fourth quarter to potentially tie the game or send the game into overtime. I think keep an eye out for the special teams. No one ever talks about the kickers. Uh, but I think that the kickers could play a pivotal role in here, especially you know with that swing possession at the end of the half. You know, depending on who wins it and who's kicking it. You know, if Clemson has the ball, say driving down, and they're down by three points, and they have the opportunity to get the ball back in the second half and have to kick a field goal, can they make that field goal? Um, you know, that could come. That could be a big part of that. So, special teams is going to be a big, big piece as well on Monday. Special and and hey, there's a reason why there's there there's a hashtag uh, college kickers. <laughs> yeah, they're not very good. No, they are very un- very unpredictable. Uh, is there anything else on any of these topics you want to say? I think I'm good. I think I'm excited for the next three days of football. You know, it's going to be exciting, and I really honestly think the games can go either way. And I hope that we just see some good football, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I would have loved to have seen, you know, some other teams in here. I think the Saints and the Pats would have been better matchups for some of these games this weekend. You know, much obviously high-profile games and quarterbacks, but. Um, the right teams won based off of what we saw last week, and we'll see if the same thing happens this week. Yep, the right teams did win, and we'll see if the right teams can win again uh, this week to uh, send themselves one step closer to the Super Bowl. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, man. Have a good night. You got it. Same to you, and have a great football weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week.